Hebrews chapter 13, if you'll turn in your Bibles there, we have one more communion Sunday in the book of Hebrews, next month, Lord willing. We've been at that for seven years now, almost eight years, going through Hebrews on our communion Sundays, first of the month, and we're coming to the end of that. Then what? No, somebody said, go back and start over again. (laughs) We might. We might do that. We're in verses 20 and 21 of Hebrews chapter 13. So if you have your Bible there. And today in our study of this passage, I want us to be able to focus on something that I think is incredibly important, and that is this. In these verses, we have something that it is always correct. It is always right to pray. We know this is the will of God, to pray this, these two verses. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. The emphasis is on that. It's, this is through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The title of this message is Pray with Confidence. We know we're praying the will of God. Pray with confidence. So many times, I find myself saying to myself, I don't know what to pray. You ever find yourself there? I just just don't know what to pray. I I like being around other people who pray good (laughs) because I can go along with what they're praying and that that helps me pray because they're praying better than me. (laughs) I don't even know what to pray. And so I, I just, some people just have that gift to be able to pray profoundly and wonderfully and and I just get I don't I don't I just uh, I don't even know what to pray how do you even start sometimes I'm asking the question why even pray I mean what difference is it going to make or what's right to pray I know there's a need to pray I know we should pray but what what is it that would be right in this circumstance to pray In Romans 8, we read that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I'm glad that I'm not the only one who struggles with that that thing. I don't know what to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. However, the Spirit of God is making intercession for us. So as we're responding to the Spirit of God using the Word of God that makes much of Jesus Christ, when we come to it with this in mind, that the Spirit of God can guide us in this need for prayer, I think some really good things can happen, and we can get some clarity. And so I'm asking God for some clarity about what to pray and how to even go about praying. God does, listen to this, God does have a certain sovereign will. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan unfolding from before the foundations of the earth. God does have a sovereign will. 
in which he ordains human means, that's us, to accomplish that will. Why does God do that? I don't know. But I know this is a fact. God knows what he's doing, and God in his wisdom uses people to help that happen. God has a sovereign will, and in that he ordains human means to accomplish that will, and prayer is the hub of all of that. You want to be doing God's will, in prayer you will be led to know what to pray about God's will. So here's the thing we want to search for as we're looking at these two verses God, show me what to pray according to your will. And then we go on praying without ceasing. It's this conversation that Pastor Jordan was referring to last week in that it's just you, you get to this place of, of dependence and need that you just can't help but keep on crying out, God, help me with this. God, help me with that. God, help me with what to do next. God, I need your help. And that's what our prayer is, just a messy prayer of saying, God, help. These are some ways that we will find that. <clears throat> the last word in our text shows us what we can be certain of. What is the last word? We almost didn't say it, but the last word is very important. What's the last word in our text? Amen. Amen comes from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that can't really be translated, but we pronounce it Amen. Uh, three letters in that language, Aleph, Mame, and Nun, A, M, and N, and then we put an E in there to kind of make it flow. Amen. Aleph, Mame, and Nun. And without going into detail, the, the Hebrew letters of that word, Amen, are the root letters of a Hebrew word for their word for faith. So when we're saying amen, we're saying, we're saying this by faith, amuna, meaning that we believe this or we can trust this or this is something we can count on. Amen? Amen. Amen also in that Hebrew context serves as an Acronym for the, the Hebrew El Melech Ne Amen. It's a shortened way of saying God, our faithful King, we can trust. God, our faithful sovereign, we can trust. So when you're saying Amen, you're saying the king says it, it's certain. I can count on this. Luther said, when you say amen, say it with certainty. <laughs> he said it this way, when you say amen, you must always speak the amen firmly. Amen. Now, you don't always, you don't always have to say amen. It's not like your prayer doesn't count if you don't say amen. I mean, most of our prayers probably don't end with amen if we're just kind of having this conversation with God. But it's good. 
to understand what you're saying when you say amen. Like this I get. I know I can trust God. But again, you don't have to say amen. A lot of times we say amen like it's, okay, we're all done. You know, and we're glad that's over. <laughs> okay, we're all done. Well, and that could be. Our kids look forward to us saying amen. I remember several years back, Rand Hummel was here, and he spoke about a conversation he had with a friend who had come around to the place where he was, he had, had no exposure to church, he had never been in anything like this, and he would not been around Christians, but, but he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ had, had promised to do for him if he would just simply call out to him. And so Rand said, you, you, know, you can pray and talk to God right now about what we've just been talking to you right now. And he said, okay, let's do this. And so he starts, he said, okay, hi, God. I, that one, I want what you got. I need that. I know I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe you. So thank you. Bye now. <laughs> Did God hear that prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what he was saying in that prayer is exactly what we're saying with this amen. We can trust you with this. God, you've got this. You are the sovereign Lord. You are our king, and we can count on you keeping your word. This is certain. So when we come to that little word at the end of this prayer... It's there to encourage us to pray with certainty. Yes, this is what God will do. So, I'd like to encourage you to pray with certainty in this time we have together. Now, do you know what a benediction is? A lot of times we think the benediction is the last thing they do at the end of the service. You, you, you pray the benediction. So again, it's that, are we done yet? We're all done. Okay. And sometimes that's the way it is. But a benediction is a very valuable thing to understand. It's a formal expression of our desire for God to bless someone else. God's ability to bless another. That's the purpose of a benediction. This, in Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, is a benediction. It's not just, we're all done and it's all over. Bye now, God. It's, it's something we're saying in order to urge somebody else to be blessed or encouraged or helped. Probably the most famous of all of these is in, in Numbers 6. I don't, have, I don't believe I have that on the screen here. So let me encourage you to go back to the back, your beginning of your Bible to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. And I want you to see this benediction that's given along the way here in this book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 6. And we read in verse 24. This is a, these are several verses that you want to come to again and again. And you can pray this in any setting, in any circumstance, and it's a fitting prayer. Here it is. You see it in your Bible? Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, what's the last word? Peace. That is a great prayer. You can always pray that. 
and not just at the end of something. This is a benediction. Our desire for God to bless someone else. The New Testament has, has a number of these. Uh, would you look at 2 Corinthians 13? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, God promises, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He gives his enablement, he gives his grace through the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. That's what we can count on. This is God's blessing, understanding the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. Another one is in Ephesians. Can you slide over to Ephesians chapter 6, the end of the book? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23. The book ends this way. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incomparable. That's a benediction. When you pray these, you know that you're praying the will of God. God, bless these, my dear brothers and sisters. Bless them. A benediction is an expression of God's desire fulfilled in a person you care about. So we can confidently pray Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In reading through that passage, <clears throat> I noticed four parts of effective amen prayer. Certain, this is God's got this. We can pray this with confidence. Four parts of an effective amen prayer. Number one, pray knowing who God is. Verse 20, pray knowing who God is. This is an invocation. It's calling out who we pray to. The God of. Think about it. God, in this book, the Bible, God is revealed to us. That's an amazing grace that God would reveal himself to us. This God of the entire universe would make himself known to us in tangible, understandable ways. We don't have to have a big college degree or be a, be a, uh, a scientist that discovers everything in the universe. We've got everything we need of God revealed in this book. God wants us to know him. And in the Bible, he is clearly shown to us. He is the God of, and then we can fill in the blank. In fact, he says all throughout the scriptures, I am, and then you fill in the blank. I, and you can say, I am, God is the I am, who is everything I'll ever need for life. He's all I need. You can fill in the blank with everything. God is. And he's revealing himself to us. He is our rescuer. He is our redeemer. He is our counsel. He is our wisdom. He is the almighty one, the God who has all power for us. And here in this passage, we see that he is the source of peace. 
the God of peace. Why state that in this context, this God of peace? Why is that significant? Well, this is here to remind us again that God is the source of what we need regarding peace. He is the source of grace. He is the source of mercy. He is the source of peace. The God who is the source of peace. This is who we're praying to. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. In the world you're going to be troubled, but be of good courage. I've overcome. Peace. And peace, it's, as we understand it throughout the scriptures, isn't just everybody getting along. It isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is a, is a reconstruction of a relationship. To be able to be right with God when things weren't right with God, having the confidence that God will help you be right with him. That is peace. Another way you can look at it is, is this way. You know how it feels when someone you love and you are not getting along. I think every husband and wife has experienced this. Something went haywire, the conversation went south, you're uptight and you're ticked with each other, and you're not, on, you're not talking. You're ticked. You're mad. And you long for that to be resolved. You don't like to remain there in that uh condition. And then something happens where somebody says, oh, I was wrong for, and fills in the blank, and then will you please forgive me? And the other says, oh, yes, oh, yes, and I was wrong for, and you fill in the blank, and will you please forgive me? And then you're back together again. It's called the kiss and make up stage. We like that. That's what this is, where something that was broken, a relationship that was crushed, is put back better than ever before, and things are resolved and fixed. And you have that peace. Jesus brings us that peace. He puts something back together again that we desperately need, a relationship with him. That's why we're created. We're created to be with God and to know God and to enjoy God and to be loved by God. That's the whole purpose of our existence. And he is the God of peace who blesses his people. And that's this prayer. He blesses his people through the priest king, Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek's king of Salem, which means king of peace. We remember that in Hebrews chapter 7. God overcame our alienation. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, he offers, in order to accomplish that, he offers himself purification for sins. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, he is the propitiation of our sins, these things that have offended God. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, he sacrifices for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, he brings forgiveness of sins. In Hebrews 9, 28, he's bearing the sins of many. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, he takes away 
the sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9, he's the offering for sin. He does it all to remove these sins. Jesus pays it all. God is willing his will to make peace with his enemies by dealing with our sins. That's our God of peace. He removes the obstructions so that we can be back together again. And I think the classic passage that helps us get this when we read the God of peace, Jesus lives that out for us, and the Apostle Paul describes that for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. And would you look at this? Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. This is a meditation passage to go back and look at again and again to realize this is the kind of God who we have. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And what does he do? He reconciles us both to God in one body, and it's through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's what our God does to bring us peace. He puts it back together better than ever before. In our household, my job was the fix-it guy. If something breaks, it's expected of me to fix it. And I don't always do that very well. I try. I basically have super glue. That's my one tool. A decoration or a toy, whatever. And dad, fix this. Or honey, fix this. And, and, and I try to put, But you know what? The best I can do, it's still got a crack in it. And it might hold together for a little while. And hopefully it'll be able to still stand up on the counter. I'm doing the best I can. But Jesus puts it back together better than ever before. It's mended completely. That's our God of peace. He is the source. So in prayer, we can go to the source with confidence. This God who loves us in this way, wanting us to be reconciled to him, to, to break down the hostility, to put us back together in a relationship with one body, and it's through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So when you know people who are not right with God, you can pray that God would show himself to them as the God who puts things back together again. You can pray knowing that that's our God. Number two, pray knowing what God has done. Notice what God has done in our text. In verse 20, we have the gospel. He he, he brought from the dead our Lord Jesus. I mean, that's the whole point. How he, Christ was died on the cross, bearing our sin. He was buried, and then he rose again the third day. And because he's risen, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has already won. That's the gospel story. And the way he did that is through this great shepherd of the sheep. As proof of the sufficiency of his sacrifice, we have Christ's resurrection before the eternal throne of God, and he's at the right hand of God, Hebrews 7, and throughout that whole chapter, and he reveals himself as the advocate, the one who stands there encouraging on our behalf. 
That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he's raised Jesus, this great shepherd of the sheep. And why is it stated that way, as the great shepherd of, of the sheep? We know he is our shepherd. And we know that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. But here there's a contrast that's drawn out through that word great. Great as in contrast to what Moses was and what Aaron was, what the rules of the law was. Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7. He's so much greater than anything this world can come up with as a means of atoning God or getting right with God. It's by the blood of the eternal covenant. This promise, not that we made, but that God made, and it's with his own blood as a guarantee. It's guaranteed by the blood of the eternal covenant. This certainly is not the Mosaic covenant. No, in Hebrews chapter 8, we know that that's over. It's all obsolete. That's done. This is the new covenant, never to be set aside. It's an everlasting covenant. In fact, you might want to write as a cross-reverence there in your margin, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 8. This is an everlasting, forever covenant that God makes with us, the new covenant that can never be broken by our sins. God keeps his promises to save you. God keeps you. He is our keeper, Psalm 121. And God promised that he would remember our sins no more, Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. That's a guarantee. We can pray with confidence this way because of the gospel. The gospel assures us that because of the death that he died and because of the resurrection that he accomplished, there is for us the atonement for our sins. And God did that in the gospel. So when you don't know what to pray or do, remind yourself of who God is. He is our peace and so much more. And remind yourself of what God has done. And the gospel keeps on working. Remind yourself that the gospel is what gets things to happen in the lives of people. So when you don't know how to pray, pray the gospel over the one you care about. Your friend that just seems so hard-hearted, pray that God would reveal the gospel to him. Your child that seems to be so far away from God and doesn't want anything about God, pray the gospel again that the truth of this redeeming work of Christ, this new covenant that God promises, this resurrection that accomplishes everything we'll need for life. Maybe you have a loved one that's just angry all the time and all, always upset and, and mad. And pray they'd know who God is, who is the God of peace, who puts things back together, and that he is the God who works the gospel. It's accomplished, and it's, it's exactly what we need to resolve all the things that are ruining life. We have the gospel accomplished. And third, pray knowing what God will do. In verse 21, this is a request built on this revelation of who God is and what God has done. We have a request. Pray knowing what God will do. Look at verse 21. 
He will equip you. What can we pray? Knowing it is the will of God. God, equip. Equip. So, one of the things I like to encourage you to do is study your Bible, understanding language. You want to understand the, the context, you want to understand the culture. But we have words here that are spoken in certain ways in this language. And back to your English 101, your freshman English, your sophomore English, your junior English, you have, everybody has to go through these grammar courses, right? You're not wasting your time spending time in grammar class. Math may be so, not grammar. No, I'm, we need both. Grammar is important here. And in this language, there are grammatical observations that bring out comprehension. And here there are some words, there are some verbs that have a mood a Greek mood that expresses the mind of the speaker addressing the will of the person. It's revealing the attitude that is being expressed or pushed here. You have the indicative, like this is a statement of fact. You have subjective, like, like okay, this is an understanding. You have the imperative mood, which is you need to do this. It's the command line. There's so many commands. Anytime there, there's a command in Scripture, we need to obey it. We need to take heed. We need to do something about that. This one, this mood is quite rare. It's the optative mood. And it expresses something that we can confidently ask. And the way we phrase that in English, we phrase it by we, the word may. May you equip. But it's built on something you know is a reality. It's the optative in this, the mind of the speaker. He is saying something that isn't yet the case, yet it's it's acceptable and it's right because you know the background. Therefore, you can confidently ask. We can use the word, may the Lord do this. May the Lord equip in a view that knowing this is what the Lord wants. We can pray with confidence that God would equip We can read it this way. May he equip you in his will. Now, let's use some other scriptures to help understand this word that have this same word in that language, but it's translated differently in English. So it adds to the comprehension of one little word called equip. In Matthew 24, Jesus was calling some men that were Mending their nets. That's the word equip. To put back together so it's useful. God equip. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, working with his disciples, he's wanting them fully trained so they know how to do their job. They're equipped. When you're on the job, you want to know how to do your job. You want to be equipped. That's this word. In Galatians chapter 6, a beautiful passage where we are called for those who have fallen to restore in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. That's mending. 
That's fully training. That's putting that in a pla- putting them back in a place where they can be effective. They can be equipped. So when somebody who has struggled, who has fallen away, who isn't making it very well, you pray for them. God, restore them. Equip them for the task that's before them. Another one, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. Complete what is lacking in your faith. That's that word mend or the word equip. To complete. In Hebrews chapter 10, prepared, ready for what's coming. So you can pray this. Lord, mend them. They're hurting. Lord, mend them. For a young person building and and working through trying to figure out life, Lord, fully train them. For somebody who's blown it and they're just not... In the right place, Lord, restore them. Equip them. For somebody that has some progress that need to make, well, complete what is lacking in them. And Lord, prepare them. These are ways we can pray knowing it's the will of God. Lord, equip. And this is the will of God. It is, it is this God who equips us with everything good for doing His will. It's not that we figure out how to do His will. It's that God equips us, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. He empowers, literally, the to be willing and the doing. God equips the willing and the doing. It all comes back to praying like this, knowing that God does this. Our whole ministry in life and here at Walnut Park is dependent on people praying like this. Oh, God, equip. Would you make it so that they're willing and they're able to? Lord, do for this person to be willing and to do your will. Work in them to be willing and to please you. That's where we want to get. God, bring their willingness to want to please you so that they really can. That's a good way to pray for your children, for your pastor, for anybody. God, equip so that we can please Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.9 Whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That's our passion. That's, God, please help us with this. God, you can equip that willingness so that that can happen. That's what's going on here in verse 21. Lord, equip. So who comes to mind that needs that kind of prayer? Lord, make me willing. Equip me with the willing to want to please you. Maybe your children... They're struggling. Oh, God, equip them. Bring them so that they are willing to want to please you and not just have to keep the rules. And number four, pray knowing what God deserves. I love this. To whom be glory forever and ever. That's the word in that language Doxa. We sing the doxology 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We've been singing a newer version. This is the older version on the screen here. But that's what a doxology is. God gets the praise, not me. You shine all the light on him, not me. God gets all the attention and all the accolade, not me. Look what Jesus has done. Our problem is, just like the disciples, and we'll address this next week, Lord willing, we like the attention. We like the position. We like the idea that other people think we're great. And that gets in the way of what God wants to do. Look what I did. Aren't I beautiful? No. Churches do this. And it becomes all about the church. And all about the ministry. And all about what we have accomplished. And God's left out of the picture. And that's, that's scary. The only one that should receive any praise in all of this is our, the glory of God. To whom be glory forever and ever. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Everywhere you go, this is what's going on. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And what's the last word? Don't skip that one. Amen. We can pray this with certainty because we have a sovereign God who's got this. With confidence we say, Amen. Would you bow your head in prayer? And right now, would you pray thanking God for who He is? Pray knowing who God is, and then ask God to help someone else know who God is, the God of peace. Who is it that God puts in your mind that needs this relationship with God put back together again? Maybe it's your own heart and soul right now. You need to know again that God loves you with an everlasting love. And he has done everything necessary to put it back together again. He just says, come. That's God's character. He is love. Maybe you have someone in mind that just isn't responding to that. Pray that God would be revealed as he is the God of Pray knowing what God has done. And you repeat the gospel to yourself. Maybe you're discouraged with the pressures of life, the things that have gone wrong around you. But you need to remember Jesus Christ is risen. He's already won. He's conquered. We can sing victory in Jesus. And it's because God has kept his eternal covenant by the blood. God gave his word and he's going to keep it. Pray with confidence. And right now, there's somebody that God is putting in your mind that needs the gospel, that needs to be reminded of the hope of the gospel, that needs to come to the gospel. Would you pray for them right now?
pray knowing what God will do. And those that you've given up praying for, would you pray for them again with that God would equip them, would mend them, would restore them, would enable them, would train them, would bring them, just like he did the disciples. The grace of God at work, enabling what we cannot accomplish ourselves. Your loved one, your child, your neighbor, that boss that you're struggling with, pray for them. That mate, and pray knowing what God deserves, and he will no matter what, he will receive the glory. Just tell God that to God, not about me. Forgive me for being so self-focused and it's all about me. Forgive me, for, forgive me, God, for thinking I need to be the one that is noticed. God, to you be the glory. God is holy. And God is just. And God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue you, to redeem you, to bring you peace. God's grace equips you to believe and to respond with the life that's pleasing to him. Tell him right now, God, do that in me. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. All God's people confidently said, Amen. Let's sing together.